Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Friday the 19th of September. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, uh, I've got a, a selection of interviews and it's another one of those shows where I, I circulate around room and uh, doorstep a lot of unsuspecting entrepreneurs. This time they were kind of suspecting because these were the startups who are all currently in the US, in New York, at the Web 2.0 conference on something supported by UK Trade and Investment and Chinwag called Digital Mission. Um, there's a, a selection of some of the the best tech startups from the UK flying over to New York to see how they do entrepreneurship over there. So uh, quite apart from getting a, a, a tour of some of the best startups in the UK on the, on the tech side, um, I also seek their views on what they reckon they're going to get out of their trip to New York. Of course, they've already been there and, and nearly finished the week, so it'll be interesting. And what a traumatic kind of week it's been for the economy i mean uh, stock exchanges run runs on banks stock exchanges going up and down i mean absolutely amazing times and uh, a time when you just think this is a time when we need entrepreneurs really i, I honestly think that um so uh exciting traumatic worrying mm, opportunity too so there we are Also in this episode, I have uh, another excellent, excellent um, book review. Book reviews are starting to flow in now. You remember, if you want to, if you want to review a book, a business book, um, then just say I'll send you a book, and all you've got to do is give me a, a short audio review. And Sarah Dillon, who I must apologise, Sarah, for not thanking you earlier. She sent it through to me a week or so ago, maybe a bit longer ago than that. And the way my email is, uh, I just didn't get to thank her, but uh, I have done now. And it's another brilliant review. And I'm just, it, the, the thing that I really love about podcasting and about blogging and about social media and just about people really is it never ceases to um, inspire me how kind of thoughtful, intelligent uh, what a what a thoughtful, intelligent, bright, um, sophisticated crowd there is out there, um, and Sarah certainly one of them. So thanks a lot, Sarah, uh, and thanks to everybody who has asked to review a book and who is reviewing a book. Uh, to all those who've already sent me them, and I've had quite a few, uh, and to all those who will do, I've no doubt. So. Uh, that's that. Um, I'd also like to have a, a. I'll also have a chat towards the end of the podcast about um, a Web 2.0, another Web 2.0 expo, but this time in Berlin in October, which I'm hoping to be at, um, and to talk about um, the blogger relations campaign that they're doing and what the conference is about. So, it is a very packed show again. And it finishes with something I haven't played for a long time, and that is a really, really hardcore piece of drum and bass which is brilliant. So uh, for you drum and bass fans, that is a real killer track. But let's now just go straight into that excellent book review by uh, Sarah Dillon of uh, a book called Inspiring Women by Michelle Rosenberg. Right, I have to start this book review with a confession. The whole women in business issue is usually a complete turnoff for me. Now, this isn't because I don't think that there is an issue, it's blatantly clear that women face different challenges to men, and the facts show that we're not properly represented in business in the UK. 
It's just that it is so boring to hear the same old cliches trotted out time and time again. Thankfully, Michelle Rosenberg's Inspiring Women, How Real Women Succeed in Business, stands head and shoulders above other books in the genre. It's also reminded me how genuinely inspiring a truly good business book can be. Rosenberg herself is an entrepreneur and media consultant, and it's clear that combined with her experiences working with Aurora, this has given her real insight into women in business today. What this book offers is a series of profiles of 26 women behind some of the UK's best-known brands, such as Fatface, Specsavers, Top Table and Sweaty Betty. You won't find any attagirl or bland stereotypes here. These are well-fleshed-out stories of normal women who've succeeded in business. Most have set up their own businesses, but equally interesting are the stories of women who've managed to carve out their own niche in the corporate world too. Rosenberg has chosen her subjects well. Some of them I'd heard from before, others weren't so familiar, but between them, they work across a range of different business sectors, and their personal lives are reasonably diverse too. Children, no children, single, divorced, married, and so on. What's so refreshing is that these women are all different. Some believe that their gender makes no difference to their careers, whereas others believe it has actually contributed to their success. Crucially, their definitions of success are all different too, and they've come to where they are today along very different paths. So chances are, most of us will find someone to identify with here. Their motivations and indeed inspirations will also be familiar to many of us. These are business people who wanted work-life balance, flexibility and control over their own careers. They have their eyes firmly glued to the bottom line, but clearly profit isn't the only thing they care about either. These women have moved away from the rigid corporate world and created structure for themselves, proving that you can rewrite the rules and still meet traditional business targets in the process. The book also distinguishes itself in format. I really like that the author has resisted the temptation to bite-size or simplify these stories, it allows us instead to draw our own valuable lessons and conclusions. The absence of gratuitous shoe, lipstick or mommy porn is also a blessed relief. It means I can almost forgive the touches of hot pink on the cover. In terms of copy too, Rosenberg does a great job of providing a coherent voice across all 26 interviews while still allowing her subjects clearly different personalities to shine through. Best of all, this book avoids cliches and Wonder Woman analogies and offers a realistic snapshot of the kinds of trade-offs these women have chosen to make. This is genuinely valuable information. And in this sense, Rosenberg's book offers us something we haven't seen before. By not perpetuating the have-it-all myth or playing to the Lippian Heels Brigade, Rosenberg is sending out a powerful message to women and to men. There is no one-size-fits-all model in business. And because she's done this so well, I highly recommend this book to anybody who wants to make it on their own terms. I'd also recommend it to anyone who perhaps doesn't quite see themselves, their motivations or inspirations represented in the dime-a-dozen stories of successful businessmen.
Now, this book may not provide the quick and easy answer to success that some of us were hoping for, but it is the kind of intelligent analysis that will help us move onwards and upwards and hopefully out of the gender cliché rut. So, Inspiring Women, How Real Women Succeed in Business, gets five shining stars from me. I reckon it's a book no self-respecting business bookshelf should be without, and a big thank you to Alex for sending it my way. Well, thank you, Sarah. I thought that was a tremendous review and um, yeah, really great. I, I, the other thing I've always loved about audio comments and contributions to the th- show is just hearing the voices of, uh, of listeners. And uh, so you don't have to put up with just me and those uh, lovely entrepreneurs that I, I interview. So, yeah, great stuff. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Um, Sarah runs a translation business and has actually got quite an interesting blog over at dylanslattery.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes, which, although it focuses on translation, I've noticed is also uh, got some very useful tips, actually, if you're a freelancer. So uh, well worth checking out. Uh, so, yeah, thanks a lot, Sarah. Um, so now let's just go straight into, because there's so much to cover, uh, the interviews with the guys who uh, were in New York this week, the, the tech web digital startups uh, on the digital mission. First of all, I interview um, Sam Michel, who is the uh, founder and head honcho at Chinwag, which was the organisation that put together the event together with uh, UK Trade and Investment. Okay, so Sam Michel from Chinwag, who many people listening to this podcast will know, um, is kind of organising this whole digital mission with his team. How did you get this gig? Uh, I think we asked for it, in a way. We suggested, and the UKTI were very keen, to do more with the digital sector and they approached us and said we want to take two trade missions one to uh, the Web 2.0 Expo in New York and one to South by Southwest Interactive and uh, would you like to help us organise these things and being about a week away from actually going I'm very glad I said yes even though my fingers are sort of down to their bloody stumps from the number of (laughs) emails that I've sent and the phone calls that I've been made and I'm basically now living on New York's time zone but it's a fascinating experience because we're meeting a whole range of UK digital companies and understanding the US digital scene as well and looking at the differences between the two is a real experience for us, a real eye-opener. Also the other thing, even though I'm exhausted on one hand from, I'd say organising is probably a a generous term, it's probably more like controlling chaos or trying to, Um, even though that's an exhausting process, the buzz and the energy that comes from the companies is brilliant. The startups have got so much energy, even that's slightly exhausting, Um, they've got so much energy in what they're doing, so many great ideas, so much drive to make things happen. It actually spurs you on to do more, to do more. What do you think, I mean there was a web mission about a year ago or last summer, um, and what what do you think we're learning, British, the British technology industry or the web industry, what are we actually learning? The scary thing is web mission was actually this year. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I know, so, you know, <laughs> seems like a long time ago. No, it was, uh, if I remember rightly, it was March. I may have that wrong, but it was... No, no you're right, you're right. Yeah, because it was web... The only reason I remember is because it was web mission 08. Is that it was 2008. Yeah, so it seems like a long time ago. I think the thing that we're learning is that we can do really well in our own market, but our own market, our English-speaking market, is, what, 59, 60 million people. You go to the US, you've got a single market 
I suppose you can include Canada as well. Yeah. You've got a single market that's, what, 200, 300 million people. They speak the same language. It's so big. If you can scale within that market, despite whatever economic woes they have, they're not really affecting the digital sector. It's a huge opportunity for UK companies to expand their business. And because we work online, you can cope with a lot of that expansion without necessarily putting hundreds of feet on the ground in the States. But despite, you know, with all the virtual meeting tools and everything else, you still need the personal presence. It's like I'm, I'm going out to New York a few days ahead of the mission to press the flesh and, and talk to people because you know, if you've met them in, in the flesh, they're much more likely to turn up to a networking event than if you've sent them an email. We've got the talent. Uh, but do we have the kind of uh, financial infrastructure and the support to break the state? <laughs> I think, actually it depends on the business. It depends whether you need investment to scale or not. Like if, you're, if you're a bootstrap business and you can cope with the scaling, then you, then you can easily break the state. The, um, the difficulty, I think, is in that growth. I, I mean, I've been in several businesses now, and going from employee one to employee 15, it's relatively straightforward. It's really hard work and there's lots of challenges, but it's relatively straightforward because everybody knows what everybody else does. You hit that sort of tipping point and all of a sudden you've got an, a large amount of management infrastructure that you need to put in place, even though you've, you know everybody and you know what everyone does. It becomes more difficult. You add in the geographic and time zone differences and suddenly it's, there's much more of a challenge. It's just running the business, not necessarily... You know, what the business does, but the actual the day-to-day -day operational stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, is the next Beatles in this room? <laughs> oh, what a question! <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's really interesting. Uh, so, we read through, well, I think we had 80 applications to come on the mission, and we read through all of them. And it's fascinating see, seeing the, uh, the paper versions of the pictures come to life today, when everybody did their yeah, sort yeah. of one minute, two minute spiel on what they did. And some of the models I think are really, really interesting in terms of what they're trying to do and the way they're approaching the market. And they're from lots of areas that I don't know that well. So I can't, you know, I can't say whether they're going to be big or not. But you actually look around and think, yeah, there's some very interesting ideas that don't seem to have any competitors that I know about. And they could definitely work. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Sam. Cheers. My name is Andrew Davies. I'm one of the co-founders of Idiomag, which is a digital personalized music magazine. So um, we're an aggregator. We run about 11,000 articles a month um, from content providers such as Rolling Stone, Billboards, and hundreds of the top music blogs. Um, that, are, that content, we then uh, semantically analyze it to extract meaning from it, and then create a personalized magazine for every user based on their taste. So at the moment, we started within the music industry, but the technology is applicable to all areas of customer publishing. Okay, which is so. How do you how do you find out what people are? How do you match the people to the content? I mean, how do they tell you what they like? So that's one of the big challenges with any personalization system yeah. is it need to find some data about the user first. So we do a couple of different ways. Either you can give us your last FM profile, your Pandora account. We support about 12 other music services. Um, you can import your APML file, which is a way of describing your attention. Um, or you can just give us two artists that you like. And we use that as a data point to start with and then evolve your interests over time based on how you rate and read articles. And is the technology here innovative or is it the idea that's innovative? Um, both is innovative. I mean, there are lots of people playing in this space in terms of the technology. Um, there's lots of uses for automatic content extraction, semantic analysis of meaning, sentiment. Um, and so that's a very busy space, but we've obviously got a very, uh, very 
clear focus on what we're using it for, which is to analyze meaning and then republish that content back to users in a very much value-added form. Now, I know already you've got content deals with the likes of Rolling Stone magazine and so on and so forth. How do you, how do you deal with these big companies and persuade them to give you their stuff? Well, when we started a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was very difficult. Um, the first six months I spent arguing over emails with all, the, largely the smaller bloggers in order to get their content. But the content marketplace is changing dramatically. Um, over the last year, content, prices of content have fallen incredibly. You've got marketplaces like Mokilla, um, which are aggregating content from all the top providers to monetize it for them. Um, and so it's really falling. It's like the price of music when there's zero marginal cost to distribute it, therefore the, the cost goes to zero. So people like Rolling Stone, they actually came to us through one of their representatives, um, well, one of their representatives came to us, um, as did a couple of the other big content providers we've got on board too. Um, so it really is becoming easier and easier. And that's the way it should be. 10 seconds, why do you, what are you gonna do in New York other than, well, no, what are you gonna do in New York? <laughs> well, um, firstly, we've got, obviously we, we believe we can monetize content more effectively than other methods. So we want to do some deals with the large media players over there. Um, so if they can give us some of their catalog, we believe we can monetize it better than they're doing at the moment using our system. Um, secondly, uh, the system itself um, can be white labeled for brands to create custom publications. Um, it's a huge and booming industry at the moment. So a brand can create a magazine about an interest that their users have in order to message to them and advertise to them. Um, and so we'll be dealing with the big custom publishing agencies over there too. Thanks a lot. Cool stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Christoph Schmaltz yes. from Headshift. What does Headshift do? Um, well, we advise uh, organizations on how to use uh, social tools to engage with uh, internal but also external clients. And uh, some scenarios, for example, would be like uh, knowledge sharing uh, within like a legal department, for example. How do we uh, collect and then disseminate uh, information and knowledge um, efficiently to our our lawyers, for example. And uh, when you say social tools, you're, you're talking about kind of blogs and wikis and um, maybe even kind of Twitter clones. That's correct. I mean, it's, it's the entire breadth of those social tools. Uh, and the interesting thing is to actually mash those or connect those tools together and then uh, mash up the data to get real benefit out of them. Because corporates are a hard nut to crack, aren't they? Have, has Headshift cracked corporate world in the UK? Um, I would say so. I mean, uh, we have been in the market since 2003. And um, our, one of our law firms, we uh, took them on, on uh, in 2004. So we've been like working with them for four years now. And you're heading out to New York because you're setting, out, setting up an office in New York, so you must be doing pretty well. So you're on a kind of fact-finding mission. What, do you, what else do you hope to get from the trip in uh, 10 seconds? Right, um, I think, yeah, as you said, primarily it's uh, uh, connecting with people. Um, strategic partnerships, that's our main focus. And uh, also just uh, to have a foot in the door, basically, in New York. We already have two clients there. One is a legal law, for, uh, law firm, and then also one of uh, uh, the organizations of the UN. Uh, we did a project with them. So, um, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Cool, thanks for your time. You're welcome. From New York to a New Yorker living yes. in London called Jason Trost. 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 Like post office. Cool. Not past office. Good. Good. I will never forget. Smarkets, which I think is. Uh, 
very cool. Tell us about it. Smartkids is a uh, simple way to place bets on events that you care about online. So from football to celebrity events to elections, any kind of event that you want to place a bet on. Um, we feel that the current way to place a bet online is too complicated. All the interfaces are takes a long time to learn, and we want to make it very simple. Very easy. So it's something that's been you know, well rehearsed. I mean, it's, it's very familiar to a lot of people online betting. So why? How come you, rather than anybody else, rather than the incumbents, have managed to find a, a simpler, easier, more efficient, better way of doing it? You'd be surprised. Um, a lot of people actually don't bet online. Uh, there was a study of Britons, and only six percent of people actually placed bets online last year. And so, from everybody that's uh, placed the bet. Um, so there's a huge potential to capture a market that bets, but is too complicated or cumbersome to do it online. Uh, we've we've spent uh, several years thinking about novel ways to present that to to users um, to make it easy for them. So we hope they like it. And uh, what are you hoping to get briefly from your trip to New York? Uh, good pizza, uh, <laughs> good conversation. Uh, Smartkiss is about to launch in, in a month, so I'll be there building buzz, talking to potential partners, talking to potential investors. And can you launch in the States? No, we can't. It's illegal in the United States. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that may change in the near future. Okay, cool. Thanks very much. Tell me your name and where you're from. Jay Nguyen. I'm from Swimo. Swimo.com. And I, I didn't realize what Swimo meant until just a moment ago. It's, uh, it's short for sweet moments. It's a lazy way of saying it. What does it do? What, do you, what, do you, what is it? It's a social network for uh, experiences, yeah? Yeah, well, uh, Swimo is actually a, um, a global experience trading community um, where, where anyone, you've got businesses, individuals, can just come to create, sell, buy and even swap real life experiences. Um, so it, it's about inspiring people you know, to generate, um, I guess, um, their moments within their own life and, and offering it to the wider community. And of course you work with uh, sort of partners, experienced partners, Red Letter Days, um, amongst them which many listeners will be familiar with is the kind of, it's the Peter Jones and Theo Pafitas company, isn't it? Yeah. How did you, uh, were they keen on your idea? <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, we didn't actually approach them, uh, which is a bit Probably a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind her sitting know. in a room with them, but uh, no, we've... Um, We've spoken to their marketing departments, but we're also members of um, affiliate programs that uh, a lot of the other companies are part of. So we've got a lot of global affiliate partners with whom we've got access to all their experiences. Um, and actually, we're even speaking at the moment to Rachel Elner, who's ex-Red Letter Days. Um, we're looking to work with her uh, on a, I guess, more on a consultancy role. So she's going to help Swimo with all the networks. Um, hopefully that all works out. You know, we're, we're just in the early phases. So affiliate, the the kind of your income, your business model is basically in the same way as kind of something like Money Supermarket is is, is affiliate stroke referral based. Is that is that how you plan on earning your money? Um, initially, yes, through the uh, established experience training uh, sort of industry. But what we want to do um, is market to the individual consumers, you know, very much like an eBay uh, model. So it's about your user-generated experiences, stuff that you'd find on your gum trees, your classifiers, you know, people offering uh, guitar lessons, music lessons, uh, massages, all those kind of things. So it's about getting people to, to offering them um, anything that's kind of a, a personal experience, you know, one-on-one uh, or more. Um, and, and getting them to, to list it on Swimo because it, it, it's free and we're a dedicated market purely uh, around experiences. Cool. What are you going to get from New York trips? Uh, 
Oh, mate, heaps of um, uh, contacts, hopefully um, heaps of money through venture capital investors. Um, we see the States as a huge market for this type of concept. I mean, they're so ready and willing to accept these type of concepts, um, probably more so than the UK and, and the rest of the world. Um, so ideally, you know, we'll, we'll meet uh, great venture capital partners, we'll also meet experienced trading partners, um, and people can help us market uh, to the US. Cool. Good luck with it. Thanks. Thanks Cheers. Cheers. Sam Matthews. Now you do, which to me, this is like one of those blindingly, ob I mean, no offence, but it's this kind of blindingly obvious social network that I'm amazed nobody else has already done. And it's a brilliant idea though. Ugame, tell us what it does. Ugame is one of the first social networks for gamers. Uh, basically what we're aiming to do is make gaming more enjoyable and connecting all the 300 million online gamers out there. So we're providing them services which some of them have, some of them probably don't have, but they don't definitely don't have it under one place in, in, in an easy to use way. So what we offer them is things like the ability to add the games they have, their gaming nickname, add their write blogs, review games, rate games, but also, you know, for example, more of the hardcore gamers, they're joining teams together. So we provide them team pages. They don't have to go and code their own website. The same for the guilds people. There's like 11 million World of Warcraft subscribers. So what we want trying to do is basically custom create services which gamers cannot live without. So that's what Ugame does in a nutshell. And like all social networks, you're not planning on making any money, is that right? Actually, we've just started rolling out some advertising. That's the great thing about having a niche social network, yeah. is it's a lot easier to target your campaigns, and you can therefore get higher CPMs from it. Uh, I think there's also other areas that are going to be looking into to monetize. One, for example, would be subscriptions, because gamers are willing to pay. It's been proven through things like World of Warcraft, where they're paying for a game. If you give them enough value add, they're going to pay for it. Um, and then finally, there's things like digital distribution, which you can get a, a percentage of. Um, so, for example, if they want to buy a game, you can get a percentage of each purchase. Same with Amazon. So those are the sort of three types of revenue streams we're heavily looking into. You launched in July, and you've already got 80,000 users. Okay. I think. That's what you said earlier. Okay, so firstly, it's a little bit not true. We launched in July. We've got 80,000 users, but they didn't all register from July. We've been open since, well, closed beta launched in February. Okay. So we've been having registrations since then, but they had to be invited to come on. So we've invited them all since the open beta. So that's how it works, basically. So the, the sort of traditional... Uh, invite model. Yeah, indeed. And it, it's, it's been very successful for us. We've had a lot of people who are um, very enthusiastic about the website. They've been contributing ever since the beginning and very avid, loyal members. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's growing at a good pace. You know, we, it could be growing more. We have been relatively underfunded, so the funding has come from friends, family, and, and directors. So, you know, what we really need to do is scale this thing. And that, that comes with some good PR. And also, just, you know, some more features that the gamers just are going to tell all their friends about. So. So what numbers do you need to reach by 12, 12 months time? In terms of registered users? Well we're looking, I mean we'd be very happy with something around the 500,000 mark within 12 months. Um, you know, if we get 200,000, 300,000 and they're all active, that's still great, right? So. Um, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to video gaming. Though it's it's growing upwards. Nintendo Wii has really helped that, but already there is around 300 million online gamers. So, if, even if we can tap a small percentage of that, we'd be very happy. Okay, um, Jake Stride.
from uh, Tactile CRM, who I've kind of, I've sort of seen him on Twitter a lot, and uh, I know what they do. What do you do, Jake? Easy contact and sales management for small businesses. So we're a, a website where you can sign up, log on on your browser, manage your contact, sales, activities, notes, emails, and calendar all from one system, share it between your organization. Basically, keep yourself and your colleagues organized and see what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. And you're uh, another cloud computing exponent, would that be right? Yes, that's right. We, we use some of the technology from Amazon to do our data storage and, and share everything across, across the web, so yeah. And uh, is this kind of, is this what you, your business, Tactile CRM, was set up to do? Or were you doing kind of a general sort of software development before that? How, how did you arrive at this at moving stuff to this kind of Web 2.0 cloudy service software as a service style model? Okay, so our actual company is called Sonokian and we uh, started in 2002 doing bespoke software development, traditionally around customer relationship management, contact databases and really bespoke business process software for large organisations. We really took what we learned working in open source and free software and moulded that down to a great little solution for smaller businesses. Cool. Thanks, Jake. No problem. Thanks ever so much. Alberto Nardelli, you tell, tell me who you are and what you do. I'm the chief strategist of Unlimited World, which is an online platform which aims to connect social entrepreneurs and empower and change the way critical social insight and information is shared between stakeholders within the social entrepreneurship market. And you're funded, supported by Unlimited? Yes, we're seed funded by Unlimited, which is a foundation that supports social entrepreneurs in the UK. And are you a social entrepreneur? I mean, is, is, is Unlimited World a social enterprise? Yes, definitely. So it's about creating social value and doing it in a sustainable way at the same time. So having a double or triple bottom line to consider human impact too at the same time. What do you hope your this, this social network for social entrepreneurs is going to achieve? I mean, what's your vision for it? Well, we have basically two sides um, in terms of, of, of vision. On one, on creating the most powerful pop, uh, possible community for social entrepreneurs to allow them to learn from each other and share um, relevant resources, experiences and challenges, but also to tap into each other's um, services and products. And on the other side, to change the way information is shared between stakeholders within the sector. For example, the government has a program for small and medium enterprises. 40% of it goes unspent, unspent every year for the simple reason that people, the right people do not know about it. And the same goes with um, research. The same focus groups and surveys are done again and again and again with costs being duplicated. And Unlimited World, by tapping into a community and uh, the power of a social network, aims to create a platform that makes those types of transactions of information simpler. So connecting policymakers with information relevant social entrepreneurs, connecting social investors and projects and social enterprises much more intelligently and research with the data that they need to inform and better understand the sector. You're kind of a social enterprise dating agency. Uh, to, to some extent. Some of our algorithms are very similar. Yeah. <laughs>
Is the is the technology different, or is it just the uh, the niche that's different? Um, it's a bit of both, in the sense that in sense the social networking side, uh, most social networks are about your immediate contacts. They work really well with your friends. You tell them what you're doing, and you share the things you're passionate about with your friends. But they become much harder. To go, it becomes complicated to go beyond your circle of acquaintances. Lots of the people that we operate with within a specific market aren't our friends. So lots of our technology is about thinking about those market dynamics, making them more efficient, and dynamically matching people based on interests, skills, what they're looking for, etc., instead of uh, friendship-type uh, relationships. And uh, New York, why? <laughs> The Statue of Liberty. I've never been. No. <laughs> Beyond that, um, after the UK, and together with the China and India, the US is actually the largest market in the world for social entrepreneurs and social enterprise. It's growing. Say after the UK. After the, the UK is actually the leader in terms of defining social entrepreneurship. There's a ministry, there's a department within the first, the Ministry of the Third Sector for social enterprise, and other countries don't have that in the world. I was speaking at a conference in Spain recently, and I spoke for ages, and I mentioned one line about social entrepreneurship at the beginning, and that was the thing everyone was most interested in, because in Spain they had never heard of the concept of social enterprise and social entrepreneurship. In the States, it's a very large sector, and just slowly they're starting to use the terminology in terms of creating the right legal structures, investment community, etc. So that's a market that we want to tap into with our uh, platform, and also it's a market. It's a market, or the markets are very nationalized. You have your local support organizations, research, etc. So there's the need to build strategic alliances with these organizations. So the web mission is a fantastic opportunity to meet. Uh, these organizations, for example, I have a meeting set up with the University, New York University have a social entrepreneurship department to talk to them how they can use our platform for their research and building strategic partnerships to then use our platform within the states. Thanks for your time, Alberto. Thank you very much. Stuart Town has end from Sunlight Systems where we are, we're at their London offices, this uh, digital mission, I keep wanting to call it web mission, but it's digital mission. <laughs> Um, well, how are you guys involved? So we're a supporter and sponsor of, uh, of the mission. So Digital Mission, we got involved quite early on because we're running the Startup Essential program. It's about bridging the gap for the UK startup community and giving them, well, I wouldn't like to say a chance, but try to help support them as much as possible. Yeah. And that's kind of practical hardware end and advice, yeah? It's a, to be honest, Alec, it's a mixture of everything. Uh, obviously, there's hardware, there's hosting, but it's technical advice. The, the, the main components are PR, but also supporting community events like this. It's yeah. making sure that we're there and underpinning these types of events so they can happen. And quite useful, clearly, being a, being a, a US-founded technology business in the first instance, you've kind, of, you kind of got those natural bridge and that natural contact uh, across transatlantically. De yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's a whole lot easier to deal with the US than if we were doing somewhere to maybe Asia-Pacific or something like that, yeah. which we've obviously got a large outreach, but the US is a, a whole lot simpler. It's a couple of phone calls. Why do you think um, technology startups appear to have a tougher time in UK and Europe than they do in the States? Uh, I, yeah, that's a difficult one. I, I suppose I'll put that down to maybe it's our English mentality. Mm -hmm. um, that if, if you fail in the UK, then you're lost and down in a pit. If you fail in the US, 
Well, that's a good thing. It makes you tougher and you go out and do it again and become a success. So I think, you know, we, we need to just change our mentality slightly and think, well, failure, it doesn't matter. Move on, do the next thing. It's, it's all, you know, it's all going to be great. Yeah, I think I think that's that's largely true. Is there, I think there's also something about the ambition as well. Um, it's not just the it's not just the, 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 the courage to take the chance. It's the courage to sounds terribly cliched, but to, I'm not going to say think big. But there you go. It's the courage to kind of to try and be something bigger than a UK company. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like you know you go to the Bay Area. And it is, I will be the next $100 million Google you know, type company. Yeah. And um, that's what I'm going to be from the start. And I think we need to have that mentality. We've certainly got the brains, the intelligence, and the yeah. investment. Uh, and we just need to, I won't use the term, but we need to um, be a little bit more bullish about ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Stuart. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, your uh, partners in Vido, I'm going right. yeah. to swap between you. I'm going to start with Fabio. Who are you and what the hell is Vido? Well, I am an Italian entrepreneur, moved to London uh, roughly 18 months ago to start Vido, which is a social shopping website. Social shop shopping means that you can find a different way to shop for things. So uh, although you have Google, you have the price comparison, you have a lot of tools, what we're trying to do is slightly different and it is giving inspiration to people. So let them discover products. So you don't have a specific need, but you know you like, for example, crime books or you like fashion. So you come to Vito, you create a profile, you tell us what you like, and we deliver things that matches your taste. And we have a community behind it, we have algorithms doing this for us, so it's very accurate, accurate, sorry for the, <laughs> for, for the English, and, uh, and it suits your needs and your taste. So is it like a search engine, or, or I, I, how do you, I can't visualize it? It's, uh, it's, say it's a discovery engine, and we see discovery as uh, not not competing with search, but as a specific form of search. Search is great when you have a specific need. Discovery is what you need when you just have like a rough idea of what you like, of your, of your preferences. So you want somebody else to give inspiration to you. And that's somebody else, in our case, is a website, which learns from you on a daily basis and deliver great stuff for you. So it's, um, it's algorithm-powered, not people-powered? Yeah, it's algorithm-powered and people-powered, because then being a social site, people, like-minded people, can get together, you can have your friends, your real friends, using Vido, so you can share taste with them, you can share a wish list, you can comment on products, you can start a conversation around consumer products, basically. Okay, Matteo, who's a co-founder, I think, <laughs> why did you guys decide to, to set up in London? Because we are, as soon as we realized in Italy there weren't a good environment to start an internet startup. So in London we see the business and the user base and the shopping activity to do this. Because at the end we rely on what people buy online. Mm -hmm. So in Italy I left France and told me, how did, do you buy online? Do you trust? Don't they steal your credit card? So this is a different approach to the shopping. Yeah. So we see London okay, is the best place to be. Mm -hmm. Just just from a, just from your own point of view, your own perspective as an entrepreneur, how did you find the move? Has it lived as London as a sort of digital hub or a, an entrepreneurial hub lived up to your expectations, or has it been tougher or easier or harder or more fun or what? To, to be honest, being an entrepreneur in London or in a foreign language is always tough. Yeah. But in London, you can find an event like this one that yeah. you definitely can't find in Italy. We've yeah. been to the event this morning, another one this evening. And we could have every week full of this kind of event, not in Italy. Fabio, what are you, what are you hoping to get from uh, New York? 
Well, first of all, never been to New York, so I would like to see the city if possible. Now, what we're really looking for is basically three things. The first thing is we have some users from the U.S. at the moment, and they're incredibly active, so we want to aggressively target the U.S. market. The second thing is we uh, want to get some PR and um, strategic uh, alliances, so we're there to, to meet potential partners in the US. And the third thing is, we will be looking for funding in the next few months. And recently, many East Coast uh, VCs in the US, they said there's not that much difference between flying six hours to San Francisco or six, seven hours to London, Berlin, Paris, whatever it is. So we will be looking for uh, funding and to create a network for uh, our next funding round as well. Is that because it's easier to find funding in the States than Europe? Uh, <laughs> you you said it. Yet, and we don't know yet who is going to, to be in New York. Yeah. So Fred Wilson is on your list of people yeah, to see. First one. Yeah. Fred Wilson is on the list. And, uh, second place or like same same uh, place is held by uh, Highland Capital Partners based in uh, Boston. Yeah. They uh, funded a very similar company, one of our competitors. So basically, they have uh, they have a different point of view about these social shopping kind of things. So they might be a bit more open-minded than some other people across the pond. But don't know yet. I'll tell you in a few months. Nick Bell from Quick TV. It sounds like I know everyone who's going on Digital Mission, but I'm just obviously reading their name badges. Uh, but I do actually, I did speak to Nick earlier. Well, so Alex, as I read your <laughs> name badge. Yeah. What um, Quick TV, it's quite a cool idea, I think, for the web, web TV, web video. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's uh, become aware of what a good resource video is on the web, YouTube, iPlayer. Uh, and what we're trying to do is take that to the next stage where uh, video becomes interactive, where you, rather than just watching a video, sitting back, and then at the end making a decision on whether you want to do anything else, you can actually uh, interact with a video and say, yeah, I want to do something with that. Uh, that's an interesting product. I want to click on that or I want to roll over that product and find out more about it. Or I want to vote on that topic or I want to input information, maybe comment on something. And all of that information, rather than being in the page surrounding the video, is actually embedded in the video itself. And all our videos are created on the fly. So um, everything, everything about that video is real time. So you're the app that's going to kill product placement? No, hopefully we're the app which is going to uh, in, uh, provide tools for product placement. Yeah. Hopefully IPTV will uh, embrace our tool and when you're watching Coronation Street you'll be able to click on that Cadbury's uh, flake and buy it or, or find out more information or enter competitions. Or And how does it work? I mean, technologically it's a kind of layer over flash, is it? Um, yeah, it's, you basically, it's, it's a flash overlay. Um, it, it outputs as one file, so it's really easy to embed. But the user experience is uh, an agency, a small business, or a publisher uploads their video uh, into our environment. They can then add the interactivity, and then they publish it. So is the, is the, is the kind of the innovation here that interaction with the user rather than the, 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 the overlay, the flash overlay? Or where's the kind of... Uh, the, the IP, as it were? At the moment, everything that we're doing is possible. Um, we're, yeah. not, we're not pretending that it's not, but at the moment, you would have to, uh, if you're a digital agency, you would have to use ActionScript, you'd have to be uh, very competent in Flash, and you'd have to spend time and effort reworking video, uh, where we're, what we're offering is a really easy, um, we don't say idiot's guy because it's very feature-packed, but a really easy, quick way, hence the name Quick TV, of yeah, yeah. putting that interactivity into video. 
Cool. And um, who are you? Who's who's the number one person you want to meet in New York? For me, the number one person I want to meet in New York. It's a good question. We would like to meet. We'd like to meet the guys at YouTube who decide that all of their videos should be offered the chance to go interactive, <laughs> and that why develop it themselves? They're just going to buy us. That, that would be the perfect solution. Okay. But, but realistically, any agencies that, that use video a lot would be would be a great introduction for us. Who here? Now, just between you and me, who here is going to get be going to be bought by Google? Who here? Uh, That's a bit unfair because you probably haven't got round round the whole room. No, I have. Just pluck a name at random. Um, I think a really interesting company here who are probably more established than most guys at Huddle. Um, and I think uh, I think their product's really interesting and I think it's, it's, it's a good solution. Um, well, that's, a, that's a good answer. I interview, I've interviewed Alistair before, so I've studiously avoided him this evening. So Huddle do get a mention anyway, even though I'm not interviewing him. Okay, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. All right, Benjamin Ellis. He just sort of a video blog after a word camp, and he, and he was sitting in his car looking quite frazzled <laughs> after a heavy weekend. So I kind of feel like I know Benjamin, or despite the fact that I only met him really uh, about two weeks ago. And Benjamin, I think, is blogging Digital Mission. Is that right? I'll be blogging it and photographs and anything that we can extract as content to create a memory of what goes off and so that people can see from the outside what happens during the mission as well because mm. um, obviously we've got a kind of collection of people here but yeah, 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 yeah. it's as it's much about the people who are not here as the, the ones who are so yeah so uh, so you're really kind of the, the roving reporter right and the kind of uh, are you going to be because there were some some very there were some very entertaining blog posts from the web mission earlier this year are you going to be uh, ruthless in your uh, criticism of hotels <laughs> I, I i tend to be and you're referring back to word camp there i do yeah, yeah, fair criticism where it's justified and I'll raise the good points but yeah, hotels always seem to be one of those things that kind of really cop it from the blogging community and usually fairly fairly I have to say yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the challenge for UK businesses is it is I think a lot harder than people realise to, to go and penetrate into the US because although well, at first glance the language is the same it's actually not the same it's a very different sort of market it's a very different sales cycle and I think there's a real opportunity now for UK businesses to go and penetrate that market. I think, you know, talking to MDs around the UK, they're a lot more switched on and think a lot more like Silicon Valley companies and US companies think now. But it's still, you know, if you look back through the track record of UK businesses breaking into the US, there, there have been some successes, but less. But I think now is a more interesting time. The US market is more open to external suppliers coming in. And why is that? I think because if you look at what's happened there, and there's a lot of debate about this, uh, Judy Estrin, who's kind of a famous valley figure from Cisco days, uh, just has, has released a book about the innovation gap in the valley and the fact that there isn't as much technology company innovation coming out of the US as there used to be. I think one of the things now, and, and yeah, there's spin about it, but I think it's merited that it's a fact there's a lot more innovation coming out of the UK now. So the US market is starting to look more openly, externally, for innovation because they're not finding it in the internal market as much as they used to do. It might be a perception thing, lots of arguments about Judy's book, but the fact is there that there is this question of is innovation coming from the US or is it coming more from the UK now? If it is from the US company point of view, I should be looking at UK and European suppliers. And that's that whole issue of 
China be more able to get into Europe now with it expanding and the UK kind of position as a, as a bridge point there as well as making people more receptive to, okay, tell me about what you've got and what you can do for me. So, Do you think uh, it's unfortunate that just as the kind of UK digital world is beginning to gain confidence and take off that we appear to be heading into a massive global recession. Is the timing poor? So I, I, I've got a personal view on this one. I know some people agree with this and some don't. And it's one of those things where you go, well, you would say that. But I think, particularly for small growing businesses, recessions are really, really good times. Because people who have traditionally bought from big suppliers start to look for, is there a radically different, lower-cost way that I can do this? reassess their supplier relationship. So if you're a small growing business, if I'm sitting on a $100 million revenue stream and it goes down by 10%, I hurt. If I'm sitting on a revenue stream that was growing anyway and you're going to recession, so I think for businesses and MDs, this is a really good time to think about how do you grow. For companies that have worked in in the past, the, the, the downturns gave us the opportunity to get to number one in the market and defeat a bigger player. So, you know, it's still going to hurt. But it is an opportunity for particularly newer companies to get in and displace some big old guys. Excellent. Thanks, Benjamin. Very good to talk to you. Cool. That should just about do me for one night. Okay, so uh, that was that was it, really. I didn't interview every single startup because there were way too many in this podcast, which is already nearly at 50 minutes, so it's a long one. It would have gone on much, much longer. Uh, but I'll put a full list in the um, show notes on the website at smallbizpod.co.uk. If you click on details underneath the podcast, uh, it'll take you to there. Uh, I'll also put a link to um, the digital mission pages on the Chinwag site, where no doubt you'll be able to read um, about the blog posts, um, see photos, and catch up on all of the other or on all of the businesses following their trip to New York. So um, that should be quite cool. So combination of this and all of that info and the sites themselves, you, you get a real grasp of some of the, the top digital startups and businesses in the UK today. So very cool. Okay, so uh, I've got a couple of uh, conferences that I'm hoping to be at, both of them actually, and uh, I wanted to let you know about them. Web 2.0 Expo in Berlin, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and they've done this blogger relations campaign, which I think is is an interesting way to promote a conference, and um, they're in, in basically giving away... Um, 35% discount on uh, tickets to the expo. It's taking place in Berlin on the 21st to the 23rd of October. Um, and it'll just be a, a phenomenal event for anyone interested in web technology, whether it's sort of the enterprise side or the startup side. A tremendous, tremendous place to network uh, or event to network at, as well as a sort of an exhibition and um, it'll just be a fantastic few days in Berlin, which is a great city. I've been to Berlin once. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, if you can possibly go, I would definitely go. So um, if you head over to um, Small Biz Pod's homepage and look at the, the show notes for this podcast, uh, there is a, a, a link to click on which will get you 35% discount, uh, a 35% discount code for all Small Biz Pod listeners. So there you go. Uh, check that out. Um, before that, on Saturday the 11th of October, I think it is, um, I'm actually speaking at um, a conference called Small Business 2.0, which is in London, as I say, on Saturday the 11th of October. And uh, the tickets are pretty cheap anyway. They're only about 45 quid, I think. But I have 10 
free tickets to that event on Saturday, the 11th of October, to give away to Small Biz Pod listeners. So if you want a free ticket, if you want to hear me speaking about podcasting, as it turns out, then by, and there's a, there are many, many greater and more interesting presentations too, I'm sure, and during the day, check out the program. Then, yeah, again, um, drop me an email in that instance. And I'll send you the uh, the free the free ticket coupon code so you can register with for free tickets. So there you go. I just seem to be inundated with amazing offers for small biz pod listeners for, and events at the moment, which is which is cool. Obviously, words got around. So yeah, I'd love to see you at uh, the um, small business 2.0 thing on the 11th of October. I'd even more love to see you in Berlin um, uh, if I can make it, which I think I can, because uh, I just think that's going to be one hell of a few days. Uh, and very well worthwhile, too. So there we go. And that, I'm going to leave it at that, other than to say uh, we're at very nearly um, 700 people on the Fa- Small Biz Pod Facebook group now. So uh, do join this uh, marvellous band of entrepreneurs on Facebook who also listen to Small Biz Pod. Um, some interesting little exchanges and contributions and ideas for shows, and I'd love you to contribute, too. So, yeah, uh, if you've not joined Facebook, then... Uh, do uh, you don't have to put any sensitive information in there if you don't want to uh, and join the the small biz pod facebook group it's uh, it's cool so uh, again link in the on the homepage of small biz pod at smallbizpod.co.uk right and now for uh, this week's music and uh, as ever i never line it up <laughs> it's a fantastic piece of drum and bass anyway a- an absolutely superb piece of drum and bass and the track is called beautiful music it's by a paradigm x and it's from the really marvelous if you're into drum and bass exogene net label so thanks exogene Thank <laughs> you. 